All right, you'll need a Bible tonight. Find Exodus 20. We're going to read through the Ten Commandments, at least up to Commandment 9. We've done that every week. There's some notes if you'd like to follow along. There's some up front and there's some in the back. Start off with a quick story. This is from 2001. It's about a man named George O'Leary. George O'Leary was, uh, before this incident and after this incident, a football coach. And he had coached uh, several different places. And in 2001, he was hired. He hit the jackpot of coaching. And he was hired as the head coach of the University of Notre Dame. And they did the press conference, and he signed a contract, and they had all the celebration. Everybody was excited. And somewhere in all of that process, a couple of reporters got a hold of his resume. And according to these reporters, his resume had not changed significantly in about 20 years. Uh, it was the same, same information on there. They looked at his resume, and they started digging around just out of curiosity. And one of the things that George O'Leary had on his resume was that he lettered in football three years at the University of New Hampshire. And one of these reporters, for some reason, just thought, yeah, I don't know if he did. There's not a whole lot of people who follow the University of New Hampshire football, at least in this part of the country. Maybe up there there is. And they just picked up the phone and they called and they said, hey, by the way, did George O'Leary letter in football? at the University of New Hampshire, and they said, well, he was here, but he didn't play, and he didn't let her. So the news came out, and uh, the Notre Dame athletic director sat down with O'Leary, and O'Leary just came clean, and he said, yeah, I, that's not true. I didn't do it. And he said, I'll give you my resignation because I lied. And the Notre Dame athletic director said, I don't want your resignation. You lied. You got caught. It's not that big a deal. Is there anything else I need to know about? And O'Leary had a moment right there where he thought, oh, man, what do I do? And he said, yeah, there's something else you need to know about. He said, on my resume, it says that I got a master's degree from NYU Stony Brook University. And the athletic director said, yes. And he said, well... There is no such thing as NYU Stony Brook University. There's NYU and there's Stony Brook, but there is no NYU Stony Brook. And I didn't get a master's from that place. And the athletic director said, why don't you give me your resignation? And he lost the job. And he went on to get other coaching jobs, but he lost this one job that he had worked so hard to get. This is an interesting quote about the story. It's from... Phil Riken's book on the Ten Commandments, he said, the most telling response came from the coach's brother. This is from George O'Leary's brother. He said, is anyone trying to tell me that resumes are truthful? In the America we live in, the willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how much you want the job. What's the big deal? For a lot of people, it isn't a big deal. One study I came across surveyed 3 million different resumes and talked with people about many of these resumes and found that at least half of them had, quote-unquote, inaccuracies, lies, fibs, to use the word that I used earlier 
sort of in a lighthearted way, things that just are not true. And then we come in the scriptures to the Ten Commandments, and in particular, Commandment 9, that says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so we're going to talk about that tonight, and we'll just start by reading through the commands, and then we'll jump in on number 9. So this is Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And then we come to verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does the ninth commandment mean? Let me give you a few thoughts. The ninth commandment forbids lying about other people in a legal setting. If you follow the letter of the command... Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. The idea here is there's a a court setting, a legal setting, and you are forbidden from saying false things about another person in that context. This was not a unique law or a unique moral principle just to the Hebrews. For example, in ancient Egypt, throughout many of their dynasties, if you were called to participate in some sort of legal proceeding, some sort of court proceeding, before you, quote-unquote, took the stand, you had to take an oath. And here's the oath you took in ancient Egypt. Quote, if I speak falsehood, may I be mutilated and sent to Cush. Cush was the next kingdom over. So before you got up, you said, if I lie, cut me up, and deport me. We should maybe work that into our legal system somehow when you stand up. I mean, we have the, I tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But I like the, the mutilation and deportation idea. If I lie, chop me up into pieces, send me out of here. That's what you said in ancient Egypt. In ancient Israel, there was also a consequence. This is the, the Deuteronomy passage I listed, and I'll let you look it up. But there was a consequence if in the court... In the proceedings, you were found to be lying about someone, accusing someone falsely. Whatever the crime and the punishment would have been for that person, then would have been visited on you. 
So if you accuse somebody of breaking into your house and stealing all your stuff, and they find out that you just totally made the whole thing up and it didn't happen that way, then the punishment for breaking into someone's house and stealing all their stuff would be applied to you. And they had that because they understood we can't have people in a legal setting or any other kind of setting just going around saying false things about people. Society just begins to break down. And we've got to have some way to ensure that people will tell the truth. And so we're going to place them under this oath. Mutilate me and send me to Cush. We're going to have this law, Deuteronomy 19, that if you make a false accusation, the crime comes back on you. In our legal context, we have the idea of perjury, right? That you have taken an oath and then you have lied under oath. And the courts say there's a consequence for that. You don't get to take this oath of honesty and then just violate it. And we have that because you need it in society. Civility, culture, society depends on people telling the truth. The government needs to tell the truth. The citizens need to tell the truth. And I could point to multiple examples in recent weeks, months, years, where government or citizens don't tell the truth, and you realize everything just becomes chaotic. Everything just spins out of control. You don't know up from down. You don't know right from wrong. You don't know who to believe or who not to believe. It's all just a mess, right? The cohesion of society depends on this idea of truthfulness, not lying about other people in a legal setting. But the Bible doesn't give us this command just to hold society together, okay? This is the next point on your notes. The ninth commandment is clearly rooted in the character of God. What I'm saying to you is that when the Bible says don't lie, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, it certainly includes the idea that living together on the earth depends on you guys telling the truth and being honest. When you don't do that, things are going to begin to break down, right? That's real. You see it play out in the Bible. But the Bible also has this idea, you ought to tell the truth because God tells the truth. And that's more important than the cohesion of society, as valuable as that is. You should be honest because God is honest. So let's just look at a couple of examples. Flip over and look at Leviticus 19, just a few, few pages to the right. Leviticus 19, verse 11 and verse 12. Leviticus 19, 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. And here's the reason you shouldn't do all of that stuff. I am Yahweh. I'm the Lord. Don't lie. Don't swear falsely. Don't profane my name. Don't steal from each other. It's going to mess up society. But ultimately, don't do it because I'm God. I don't do those things, and you shouldn't do those things. Flip over to the New Testament. Look at Titus chapter 1. Look at the Titus verse and the Hebrews verse. Titus chapter 1. Just a little, almost a side note in the middle of verse 2. Verse 2 starts mid-thought. It says, in the hope of eternal life which God who never lies, promised before the ages began. God never lies. He never tells a lie. That's why you shouldn't lie. 
That's the ultimate reason why you should be an honest person and not bear, bear false witnesses, that God doesn't do that. The same idea you see if you turn a few pages to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews six eighteen says that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It is impossible. Not only does he not do it, he can't do it. It's against his nature. It's against his character. It's not possible for him to lie. And that means that we should not lie. Now, before we move on and sort of expand the the field and say, what does this commandment include? I want to point this out. God is a God of truth, while Satan is the father of all lies. God is a God of truth. Satan is the father of all lies. Look at the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says, you, speaking to the Jewish religious establishment, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see the the two sides here. It is impossible for God to lie. He never lies. He always tells the truth because that's his character. It's who he is. And who he is flows out into his speech. He always tells the truth. Satan is a liar at heart. When he lies, he speaks out of his character. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Phil Riken says it this way, The reason we are called to be people of the truth is because we serve a truth-telling God. It's pretty simple. Here's the flip side from A.W. Pink. I love this quote. It is a sin, speaking about lying, which makes a person most like the devil. You're never more devilish or satanic than when you're lying. And it's funny to me as we've gone through these studies, we've talked, me and Corey and Hunter, and I've I've visited with other people. If I stood up and I told you guys a story about me being in the fourth grade murdering someone, you wouldn't laugh at it. You would get a pastor search committee in place and say, we need a new pastor. This guy's nuts. And it wouldn't be funny. Or if I told you a story about committing adultery against my wife, you wouldn't think it's funny. But for some reason, my reaction is just like yours. When we tell stories about lies, we just sort of say, <laughs> that's funny. Mark lied when he was a kid. <laughs> pastor lied when he was a kid. That's funny. And Pink just kind of reminds us, he, sometimes he, you need a killjoy at the party, and he just says, you're never more like the devil than when you're telling a lie. It's not funny. But I have the same instinctive reaction as you do. It just shows that we don't take it all that seriously. We don't think that it's as bad as some of the other sins or some of the other commandments. We sort of rank them in our mind and we say, well, this one's bad. That's, that's not funny, but eh, that one is kind of funny. Jolly Ranchers lying to fourth grade teacher. That's kind of funny. Oh, it's devilish. It's satanic. It's a sin which makes a person most like the devil. 
What does this commandment include? Let's broaden the tent just a little bit. The positive-negative rule reminds us that in addition to not bearing false witness, that's what the commandment says, do not, you shall not. The ninth commandment, and there's a typo on your notes, it's not seventh but ninth. The ninth commandment also requires us to be people who tell the truth. Every negative command has an implication of do this positively. And the positive commands, like keep the Sabbath, by implication have a a negative, that you shouldn't do this. When a command says don't, there's also a do implied. And when a command says do this, there's also a don't implied. So we're not only going to not bear false witness, but we're also going to tell the truth. You can look up Proverbs and Ephesians on that. Uh, The inside-out rule. God desires truth in the inner person. The inner person. Look at Psalm 51, verse 6. Psalm 51. You know Psalm 51 is the moment in David's life where he's confessing his sin against Bathsheba and against the nation and against Uriah and against his own family, ultimately against God. And in Psalm 51, verse 6, David says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. God wants you to be true, not just externally so you say the right thing, but internally in your heart. Right? You can go around and with your mouth say all true things, but in your heart, God wants you to be true. He wants you to be true about who you are. In the context of Psalm 51, that involves confessing sin. God wants you to be honest with yourself about your sin and seeing your sin as God sees it. He desires truth in the inner person. Next, false teachers. False teachers break the ninth commandment when they teach lies about God. For anyone who teaches, this ought to be a a weighty realization. That when you stand up to speak... On God's behalf, you, tend, you, you stand up to speak, this is what God's word says. You better get it right. You don't get it right, you're lying. You're saying, saying things that are not true about God. I don't have a, an exact quote uh, because I couldn't boil it down to one that was manageable. But Martin Luther talks about this. Think about his context in the Protestant Reformation and all of the false teaching and all of the things that the religious establishment was saying about God and salvation. And Luther says it's false teachers who are the primary offenders when it comes to the ninth commandment. And you can see why he would say that. He's surrounded by people saying false things about God. And he said, this is the one place you break the command more than any other. The ninth commandment is when you're talking about God, you're not... You're not speaking the truth. The category rule. Category rule reminds us that the ninth commandment represents many different sins of the tongue. Many different sins of the tongue. I think it's fascinating to look at the Ten Commandments and to sort of ask the question, why these ten? Because when you read the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's other commands. Right? You get one in the ten about sexuality. One out of ten. It's not the only thing the Bible says about sexuality, but you get one. And we talked about why, why that one. 
you get two about your tongue. Do not take God's name in vain. Do not let it roll off your lips without reverence and worship. Be careful how you speak God's name and be careful how you speak about other people. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Two. Could have just sort of collapsed them into one and said, be careful how you use your mouth. Say things that are right and true and God-honoring. But instead we get two. Be careful how you talk about God and be careful how you talk about other people. This is a great quote from, from Phil Reich and I really loved his chapter Online, And this is a little bit long, but just track with me. He says, there's many different ways to lie. A falsehood can be described as an invention, an equivocation, a falsification, a fabrication, or a prevarication. We have lots of words for this. Dishonesty also comes in all different sizes. There are the big lies, the whoppers, and the grand deceptions. Then there are the little lies we tell. The half-truths, the flatteries, the fibs. Such a great euphemism, a fib. Just, you giggle when you, when you say it or when you hear it. A fib. It doesn't seem that bad. It's just a fib. What we say may be true as far as it goes, but we leave out the details that might put us at a disadvantage. Your kids ever do that? My kids are really good at this. Right? They're in the other room. All of a sudden you hear screaming. Somebody's dying. Someone comes in and says, so-and-so slapped me. And you say, is that true? Yes, that's true. And you, you know it's true. There, there's conviction there. But it's not all of the truth. And you say, well, what happened before you got slapped? sort of go back to the other room what we say might be true as far as it goes but we leave out the details that might put us at a disadvantage it's easy to point at our kids and laugh about that but spouses do it too I hear it when people come in for marriage counseling right if you talk to the wife first the husband always sounds like a jerk and if you talk to the husband first the wife sounds really mean It's because they're both telling you selective parts of the story. They're telling you what you want to hear. We say something that's technically true, yet nevertheless intended to deceive. We overstate our accomplishments, putting ourselves in the best possible light. At the same time, we exaggerate other people's failings. You just, you know that's true. How wicked is that? We like to make ourselves look better than we are, and we like to make other people look worse than they are. Thinking that saying the worst about others. We mislead, we misquote, we misinterpret, we twist people's words, taking things out of context. In these and many other ways, we exchange the truth for a lie. All of the things we can do with our tongue and with our fingers. That's the next bullet point. All the sins we commit with words can be committed silently through technology. Your voice box does not have to engage. Your mouth does not have to form sounds. Sound waves do not have to come flying out of your mouth. And you can break this commandment through texting, through email, through posting on social media, by promoting wild 
conspiracy theories that you have no idea whether or not they're true or not, you could be promoting a lie. Everyone wants to accuse everyone else of fake news these days. This is fake, that's fake, it's all fake. If it's fake, it's a lie. Whichever side produces it, it's a lie. False accusations. I see this a lot, even not just in the political realm where you have two sides locked in mortal combat against each other. You see this if you get on social media, even amongst believers. And I'll give you just one example. In our own house, our own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, we had an annual meeting this year, and every couple of years we elect a new president. You serve for a one-year term, but there's a gentleman's agreement that once you get in, you get the next year for free. Nobody runs against you. So you basically serve a two-year term, and it was time to vote for a new person. And usually you get two or three people running against each other, and one of the guys that was running is a guy named J.D. Greer. He's a pastor in North Carolina. He actually ran two years ago. Somebody nominated him two years ago, and things got very testy, and there was about to be a big fight, and he said, I'm out. I'll back out. So he stepped back, and the other guy won, and everyone breathed a sigh of relief, and we went home and pretended like we were friends. And two years later, they said, okay, you're up. Your turn. And when he ran, there was a lot of people that said, well, we don't like some of his doctrine, or we don't like some of the things his church does, or we don't like his age. We don't think he's mature enough. He was very, very young to be elected to this position. And there was all kinds of stuff online. And some of you saw it and asked me about it, and we had conversations about it. Is it true that that J.D. Greer, fill in the blank? No, it's not true. No, it's not true. No, it's not true. It's lying. It's breaking the ninth commandment to say those things and to promote those things. I love the wisdom of Thomas Watson. Watson was a Puritan, and he said this, God has set two natural fences to keep in the tongue, the teeth and the lips. This commandment is a third fence set about it that it should not break forth into evil. Put your teeth in the way and he put your lips in the way and he put this command in the way and maybe we need a special screen protector in the way to, to protect our fingers. But it's something that we've got to watch and be careful of. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a short, we're not going down the rabbit hole, but we're going to look down the rabbit hole. Maybe we'll stick our head in the rabbit hole, but we're not going all the way in, okay? Some people have argued, this is in your notes, that there are, quote, exceptions to the ninth commandment. And they don't say this because they think lying is okay. They say this because there are places in the Bible, Hebrews 11, James 2, the book of uh, Joshua, where people lie and they are commended for it. They say something on the surface that is not true and the Bible gives them a thumbs up. So let me just share a few thoughts about this. Uh, One of our best back row Baptist church members is right in the back, in the middle tonight. Turn around and look at him. Mr. Steve, Dr. Steve from over at UTPB. And he sent me, we talk about different things, and he sends me papers, and we we have uh, discussions. And he writes a lot of papers. Some of you didn't know that about Steve. He writes scholarly papers, and they're really, really good. And one of them he sent me is called Natural Law, the Ten Commandments, and Sports. 
Natural law, the Ten Commandments, and sports. And he says this about sports. Sport is replete with lies. It's all a bunch of lying. And here's the examples he gives in the article. I really liked it. He talks about Rafael Palmero. You remember when the baseball players got called to Congress and they had to sit in the room with the cameras and talk about the steroids? And Palmero got choked up and he was crying and he was so angry and he was shaking. He said, I did not take. Yes, you did. He told a lie. He talks about athletes in college. I'm sure that this does not happen at UTPB or OC, but in other institutes of higher learning who maybe don't do all of their own work. Maybe they let somebody else take that online test or write part of that paper. He talks about birth certificates being forged in sports. Right? What a sad thing in the first place that we have to provide birth certificates to let your kids play sports to prove if you want to play softball in Odessa you go sign your kids up they say we want to see a birth certificate we got to put them in the right age group we don't what they're saying is we don't trust you to tell the truth what we think is you're going to lie our expectation is that you will not be honest that you will break the ninth commandment and what we do in turn is make fake birth certificates and you have kids like the Danny Alamante kid in the, the Little League World Series who everyone thought it's kind of strange that this six-foot-five kid is pitching in the fifth-grade Little League or whatever. But there he was striking everyone out. No one could hit him. And they realize a month later, oh, he's 24. Well, we lie in sports. Other examples, just to think through this issue. Uh, actors lie. They stand on a stage and they tell you they're someone they're not. They pretend to be someone they're not. And some of you say, oh, that's dumb. I'm in on the lie. I know the lie. I have met people who say, you, you should not go to the theater. You should not watch movies. You should not watch television because you're participating in a lie. Don't do it. Enemy combatants in war, they lie. Right? When you're in war... You don't tell your enemy everything that you're going to do. In fact, you try to make your enemy think you're going to do something you're not going to do so that you can get some sort of advantage. Some of you leave home. Some of you left home tonight and you said, hey, leave the lights on in the living room. I want it to look like we're home. Well, you're not home. Is that a lie? Are you trying to deceive the thieves and the robbers? Are you lying to them? On a more serious note, some of our uh, Amish Mennonite friends would say that if somebody were to walk into the church right now with an automatic rifle and say, where are the children, you would be obligated to tell the truth. You should not lie. The commandment says, do not lie. Tell the truth. I like the wisdom of Martin Luther when it comes to lying. He talks about three types of lies. You can do with this what you want, and we're on our way out of the rabbit hole. He says there's humorous lies, there's helpful lies, and there's harmful lies. He says humorous lies are jokes and the theater. He didn't have TV in his day, but we can include TV in the movies and, and things like that. And he says people are in on it. Nobody's harmed in that. 
And we don't think that those actors are genuinely trying to deceive us in some way. We know what's going on. When Corey tells you the joke, uh, you don't think that he's lying to you or being dishonest. So those are, are humorous lies. Helpful lies. How about Rahab? She's one of the ones in the Bible who lied about the spies, the Hebrew spies. And the Bible says, way to go, Rahab. Right? You had a decision to make. Do I value life, commandment six, or do I tell a lie, commandment nine? And she chose to value life and protect life, and she broke that command. In essence, she told a lie. She said something that wasn't true, and the Bible says that was good because it was a, a helpful thing. Maybe you'd think of Corey Timboon and her family, right? Hiding uh, Jews during the Holocaust and protecting those people. Uh, we would say that's a helpful lie. And then there's harmful lies. Lies designed to hurt other people, manipulate other people, give you some sort of advantage in a situation. And Luther says that's what the commandment is really, really drilling down to. One last thought, the biblical rule. That's just taking the Bible as a whole. It reminds us that God takes the ninth commandment seriously. God takes it seriously. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 starts off with some of the most beautiful, encouraging, uplifting, hope-filled verses in all of the Scripture. And then you get down to verse 8, and it says, But. But, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns, or the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God takes this command seriously. Just a few Old Testament examples. This was really hard to to narrow it down to just a few references. We won't look these up because of time. Uh, Genesis 3, the serpent talking to the woman. After a little bit of dialogue, the serpent says, you will not die. That was a lie. They did die. They died. Genesis 5 recounts it. Genesis 27, we've talked about this in many of our Sunday school classes recently. Just the story of Jacob. He was a liar. He lied over and over and over and over again. His mom helped him lie. He lied to his dad. He he tricked his brother. He lied to his father-in-law. He lied over and over and over again. He was a deceiver. Uh, 1 Kings 21, Jezebel wants the field that this man Naboth won't give her. And she pays false witnesses to lie in court about him. It was lying. Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah talks about Uh, the false prophet Hananiah, and talks about how he is a lying false prophet. New Testament examples. I want to look at these. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. Jesus is on trial. He's about to be crucified. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony. They're looking for it. They're begging for it. They're seeking it out against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward. And at last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and he said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify 
against you. Going through all the external motions of justice and law and a trial. And all the while, Matthew says, they are seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Lying was involved at the very heart of the crucifixion. It was involved in the hearts of the men who put Jesus to death. Here we move into good news, to gospel news, and we talk about Jesus' active obedience. Here's a few thoughts to wrap it up. Jesus never lied. He never lied. He doesn't have a fourth grade story about Jolly Ranchers, or he doesn't have a long story to share with you. He never lied. He never sinned with his tongue. He always spoke the truth. He embodied the truth. He never lied. He never sinned with his tongue. He always spoke the truth and he embodied the truth. And he sends the spirit of truth to make his followers truthful people. And here's what I want to do to wrap up. I just want you to take your Bible and I want you to find the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I just want us to read through some of these verses in the Gospel of John that talk about truth. That's the real issue we're getting down to when you talk about the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. We're talking about the truth. And throughout the Gospel of John, from the beginning to the end, one of the themes that comes up over and over and over and over again is the truth. And we're going to jump into John on Sunday mornings uh, in 2019. And so we're going to see this over the next weeks and months. The truth, the truth, the truth, the truth. So you've got these verses listed, and we're just going to flip to them and read them. And then we're going to pray and be done. John chapter 1, verse 14. The scripture says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus says, You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. That's John the Baptist. He bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, this man who bore witness to the truth. Chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Chapter 8 verse 39. 
They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, implying that Jesus was born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. I came from God, and I'm here, and I came of my own accord. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But... Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. Look at John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Same chapter, chapter 14, verse 17, talks about Jesus sending another helper, even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things to come. Chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus praying in the high priestly prayer about not the world, but of the disciples. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then one more, chapter 18, verse 37 Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice.